That felt chaotic. Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm joined by Jesse Park Humphreys and Becky Taylor-Gill. Guys, I want to start with... Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you haven't had this spoiled for you already, like... I mean, fair play. How are you like, living your crazy, life? Yeah. Uh, but we're going to talk about the Traitors finale first because we're all big Traitors fans on this show and we haven't had a chance to talk about it yet uh, since the new season started. So I thought let's start Monday's show with some Traitors chat because Becky, you and I did a bit of a Twitter spaces last week. Didn't have time to fit one in this week, but we had the final on Friday night. I watched it at Butlins, which was just incredible. Iconic in its own way. Um, but yeah, a lot went down on that Friday Friday night finale. What a show. What a show. Like, give it an Oscar. It's just, the like, if you're a producer on that, sh- on that series, you're like, cha-ching. That is like perfect TV. Like, how did he pull it off? I think he's a genius. I was rooting for him. Well, in the end, I was like, I don't really mind who wins it because either way because I loved jazz but also I just thought Harry like it's like when he when he got that shield that was when I was and he was was like yeah when he didn't say anything and we were all like what and it wasn't until he explained what he was doing that I was like oh my god that's so smart that's when I was like you deserve this but I love jazz. And can we take a moment to say how good jazz looked in that <laughs> black suit? He did look good, yeah. He looked fine. I was. I think what frustrated me about jazz was the fact that he never pushed his his thoughts and his like agenda. Oh, yeah, it was annoying. In any of the roundtables or even at the end when he could have maybe taken that chance to persuade Molly. He also never, I think, collated his disparate thoughts into one argument mm. and I think that was that was why he couldn't persuade like in that final bit it's like you've got nothing to lose exactly. like you're about just to lose money just like exactly. say why it is and he like actually didn't really do anything no. to like tie up all the evidence he'd built up which all was he, annoying all he, said, all he said was oh I, I, I wondered why Andrew threw you under the bus there Harry so I'm voting for you when actually he'd he had been thinking about Harry for, for days yeah. Yeah. he'd been thinking about Harry for days he had he always thought it was Paul as well but then do you think he was taken in because I think he was also just taken in a bit by Harry really do you think I don't know in that bit I think he, it's so difficult yeah he, he asked so again about the conversation with Paul and I couldn't figure out whether because he sort of went like oh okay yeah to like Harry's explanation and I was like, is this real or not? But then the way he behaved at the end, I was like, it kind of feels like you were a bit taken in by him. Mm. Maybe he didn't believe him his, himself. He didn't believe his own theory. Mm. All he needs to say to Molly is, why would I, if I was a traitor now, why would I choose to well, do I another roundtable? Well, I thought about this though, yeah. because he, if him and Harry were traitors... Yeah, true. He then he taken might, the because money. he would want, have wanted to get rid of Harry mm. to yeah. have the money all for himself. But yeah. I also agree it was a bit like... Yeah. But I don't think Molly was thinking that because I don't know if she was thinking much at all. I don't no, think she so, bless her heart. She was so blinded by her obsession She was b- blinded Harry. by the dangly earring. Many people have been there. <laughs> many, people, many people are <laughs> I saying. Saw, I saw a tweet which was like, never trust anyone with a dangly cross earring. Yeah, That's do you know who said Humphreys. that to me? Flo Lloyd Hughes. I said it to, to Jesse like Friday night at Butlins when I was quite a few pints deep. Like, lol. Um, 
Yeah, and there was another very one of my favorite tweets after the final was the one where it was like, guys, I think what I've learned from traitors is that like fancying someone is the most embarrassing <laughs> thing that you could ever so do. Embarrassing. And yeah. Poor, honestly, poor Molly, because she was so sweet. And I saw a lot of the season one traitors saying that oh, Molly's like an incredible faithful. Her name never got written down once. And I get what they're saying, but at the same time, I don't think that was like intentional good faithful playing I think she was just so nice she wasn't and so a good naive. faithful because she was totally taken in by mm. one person and the whole point of being yeah. a faithful is you shouldn't be totally taken yeah. in by anybody because they could stab she you let, she let herself get wrapped in with Harry's flow, good looks yeah. the series one people tweeting I just think it was so embarrassing. Like, you've had your moment. Yes, I agree. I was like... <laughs> trying to... And it was all these people and I was like, we don't even remember you. Yeah. yeah like, but guys, being like, guys, Trying guys. to be like... No, no, because they were trying to be like, look, you can tweet through it, fine. But like, being like, oh yeah, when we were doing it. Oh yeah, like when the song... The, oh yeah, the song. They played the... And it was like um, one of the most random men tree. ever. What was his name? Like yeah. Ivan or something. Yeah. Oh no, it wasn't Ivan. He's He's a classic tweeter for that though it was ryan yes i know he didn't last very long he was tweeting a lot he he went quite early but i will what i will say what i will say is in fairness to them you get your one moment in the sun so wouldn't you every single time traitors comes up in the lexicon in the pop conversation try and jump in on it because that is your claim to fame i understand why they're doing it i just think it's cringe i even thought it was cringe that the people on the current series were tweeting along yeah, Paul's Paul's obsession with all the memes kind of oh irritated my God. me. Apart from when Evie posted her wife, girlfriend. Yes, we've got dogs. to talk about Charlotte and Evie gay reveal because yeah. that came out um the I think the Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday um episodes before the final and obviously I had to stand so hard after that. I was like, come on, yeah. Evie. But, yeah, that was iconic. I'll reduce my hatred of Charlotte by ten percent for her being gay. <laughs> But I might actually I increase it. That is even more Holly, annoying. <laughs> Why are you totally enthralled to this irritating Vincent van Gogh man when you're a les? Well, Holly, Maybe she's not a les, sorry, she might be bi. Queer! Holly was, Holly was saying like, oh, if I was her wife watching this, I'd be fuming because you're like, yeah. hang on a minute, excuse Stop me. Stop dribbling over this orange yeah. man. Oh, anyway. When she was like, the best traitor ever, I was like, I want to hit you. Like, <laughs> you are so dumb. There's what? one standing right in front of you. What a show. What show? Can I also just congratulate myself for resisting going on Twitter for hard. two hours so I could get home from G Flip and watch without any spoilers? It's hard. It's like, I, really good. You can't go on Twitter at all because you no, will I see knew, spoilers. I knew I couldn't, like, because when I'd missed episodes earlier in the season, I just muted stuff and it'd mm. been, I pretty much got away with it, but I was like, I can't risk it. I've just not got to not yeah. go on Twitter. Mm. Yeah, my algorithm is so traitors heavy that but I, I managed just, it. Wow. So I'm the That's real impressive. winner. It's, it's hard you if are. you're trying to do football and traitors because then it's like your algorithm is just all over the place and yeah, you can't have any... There was sport, no like... phone reception at Coco, so that was quite good. Okay. Also meant I couldn't check the Chelsea score though, but then that was nil-nil, so I didn't miss anything there either. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a real win-win. Win-win, win-win on the Twitter spoilers. Okay, well, great to chat traitors. I'm sure we'll do some more traitors action when the next season's out. I've been waiting for the US one which I think is coming to iPlayer soon Australian one guys we should really apply as a trio would recommend oh no I couldn't do it I couldn't do it can and you imagine secretly... if we tried to apply and do the thing where we pretend we didn't know each other and then someone would be like hey aren't you guys all on a podcast <laughs> together <laughs> I don't think we're I don't think we're that big yet 
It is quite also, funny. Needs that one women's football fan. It is quite funny that the UK sort of casting thing is they always want a double act that's undercover. Yeah, but this one was so much better it. than last the year. The magician thing. Why? That was also very that funny. That was so funny when he couldn't help himself but to reveal. It's like, why are you doing worse, that, you yeah. idiot? And and a trio, like, they need to up the ante next year. Yeah. The thing and is, I wouldn't would trust well. either of you two. Oh, no, I would, oh, I, absolutely I, I, fucking I not. And that's what's funny about it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Me and Flo would be good at it at the round table. Like, (laughs) you, I saw you do this. Flo and Becky at a round table would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) It would be awful. Right. But imagine if we, imagine if us three were the traitors. That would also be the the three of us. We would clash on the strategies (laughs) and everything. Let's talk about some football though, because we had a lot of fun WSL action over the weekend. Becky was even at, I was going to say Anfield, at Prenton Park. So we're going to talk about that. Jesse, you went to two games. You went to Crawley for Chelsea and you were at Brisbane Road. So we're going to talk about some big news there. Big news at Brisbane Road. Big, big, big. All right. Oh so let's get into it after this. So let's start with Liverpool <laughs> Arsenal. Becky, a vibe check from you. No being comment. at the ground. Um, you know what? It was a it was a good crowd. It was busy, um, and yeah, I I obviously everybody saw me get rattled on Twitter about <laughs> so rattled the Arsenal fans in the home end. But I've been thinking about it a lot, and I just think it's <laughs> wow. Ridiculous. Becky's a slut. Head has gone. <laughs> Boil is noggin is boiled. Oh, my noggin is, was so boiled last night. Also, the, the Arsenal fan behind me just did not know what she was talking about, which made it even more annoying. Um, when she was like, oh, Jenna Clark's having a good game. I was like, babe, she's on the bench. Like, what are you on about? <laughs> and she was Scottish. So I'm like, wow. She was like, oh, yeah, I hope she gets starts for Scotland soon. Anyway, I just think we're kind of like in like a worst of both worlds situation at the moment where like we've opened away stands so now I expect to Mm. not have to deal with opposition fans in my own end and yet even though that away they sold out their original allocation Arsenal and then they like gave them more so just go over there like just buy a ticket in the away end it's really not that difficult and if you do end up in the home end Becky can I ask an admin question because um yeah when I was seeing your rattled tweets, you were you were implying that they. I wasn't sure. Could you buy the away end tickets on the Liverpool website, or did you have to go yes. by Arsenal to get the away end tickets? No, no. They on the Liverpool website, it, you'd click tickets for the match, and it came up with three options, which was upper cop, group upper cop, and away end. Right. So it's very easy. It's right there. Um, and I just think if you do end up in the home end. Like at this point, don't be so obvious about it. Like standing up and cheering when you're scoring is just like, I I do think it's disrespectful. And I would have said that before we had away ends. Like I wouldn't do that because I just think like, it's not like you're in the home end. 
I, I would never do that in men's football. Yeah, I sometimes wonder if this is a sort of men's versus women's football thing because mm. I, I wouldn't. The only time I have ever done it, I don't even really think this accounts. But when it was when I was in club at the Emirates for Arsenal Chelsea, I did stand up and cheer for Sam Kerr's equaliser. But I think club is a little bit different, personally. Yeah, but also maybe that was bad of me. But otherwise, bad form, I but say I've bad got, form. I I feel for you, Becky. I've got angry at Barcelona fans who've done this. I've got angry at Man United fans who've done this and similarly for the United fans at Stamford Bridge also though funny because obviously they got battered in the end the away <laughs> end like there were seats in the away end so there was no reason they couldn't have gone and sat over yeah. there um, it is like it's super annoying I just don't I just don't get it noggin boiled yeah I don't know why you'd want to do it no, I agree I. I agree why would it like, surely it'd be more fun to be with your fans and what I've, if they purposefully wanted to sit? But naturally, the rattle. risk is now you're going to get like fans yeah. coming to try and you. sit next to you to rattle. <laughs> to try and didn't care at all, out. actually. Didn't care at all. No, I, I think I think it's I think it's going to get better. We are still only in a couple of seasons into this proper like a way end segregation because it was only really last season where they started to sort of formalise it. So this is the second season. I think it's going to get better and I think hopefully we'll get less of it because I think some fans who don't go to a lot of games also probably don't necessarily actually realise that there's... Proper... Well, she obviously didn't go to a lot of games because she didn't know what the fuck she was on about. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly she doesn't even know what Jenna Clark looks like and come on, like... Uh, so, She's like yeah. seven foot tall. You can tell who she is. Yeah, exactly. So, I yeah, don't quite I... know what the answer is though because I don't, you know... And, and this maybe this is all about like the push for attendance being like the most important thing, which I don't actually think it is. And I thought that a lot at Prenton Park yesterday, like it's quite a difficult ground to be your home ground because it is big. And actually it's much harder to have like a great atmosphere at a big ground like that. Um, even when it's like quite full, there was 6,000 people there. Um, you don't want to discourage people from coming. You don't want to formalize those. Like you have to be a home fan to get this ticket because it just means that people will miss out. But, I do think there's something that needs to be done about it so that my noggin stays unboiled. I think, it is, I think what needs to be done is, Becky, you need to start picking fights with these people and then they will know yes. that you can't do that. I need to that. create a hostile environment. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I I'm going to Theresa May women's football. We're going, we're going to get onto the Glastonbury discourse, which took over Twitter over the weekend. But I want to save that because we're going to get into that media roundtable with the new co-CEO later on. Let's talk about this game. Because I thought it was it was smart from Liverpool in the way that they set up in the fact that they obviously had success against Arsenal at the Emirates, played well in that game. They got really battered by City in the end. And I think, understandably, Matt Beard went for a bit more of a pragmatic approach in this game, setting up in a low block, making themselves hard to break down. Arsenal's movement was good, but I think in the first half that they had really good chances that they struggled with and then eventually kind of um, just opened up. And I think the the runs and movement, especially from Alessia Russo getting the assist for that second goal. Um, I thought Emily Fox had a brilliant game. It was, it was kind of like they just eventually could break down that Liverpool defence. And I also feel like Unlike in the Emirates game, Liverpool just missed any output because Yana Daniels starting up from no Taylor Hines. It just felt like, okay, if they do get any transition opportunities, they've just got nothing to really get them going. There was like one 
decent chance at the end of the first half. But apart from that, it was just really hard for them to use the ball wisely when they got it. Um, but I thought, you know, for, for parts of the game, they were organised. But it's like to try and do that for 90 minutes and hope for a nil-nil against Arsenal. It's just it's a very difficult game to play. The attitude seemed to be that Matt Beard had made a lot of changes sort of to send a message to his team after the, after City, after game. the City game, yeah. which I understand to an extent. But I think, unfortunately, when you're a team like Liverpool, some of the drop-off in quality mm. means that doing that also has like big implications for how you want to and are able to play. And I mean, I guess to an extent, maybe you think it's Arsenal, this serves you like better as in the season if you can give your players a kick up the arse like that. But I just felt like it was so frustrating to look at Liverpool's bench and be like, why am I watching Jasmine Matthews? <laughs> but like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm sorry that that's mean, but <laughs> I don't know. That was just something that I found a little bit I frustrating. Was, I, was, I was baffled by the changes and I presumed, oh, I like... I thought the same as you at first. I thought, oh, maybe it is like a punishment send a message because of that result. But then I thought, look, getting beat like that to City is something that That's a lot a of teams enough. a lot of teams will have this season mm. and have had this season. So then I thought oh, maybe it's a maybe it's a fitness thing. But to bench Tyler Taylor Hines, to bench uh Jenna Clark. Well to- Taylor Hines wasn't fit. Oh no, shit, she was in so the squad, sorry. Taylor, was Taylor Hines wasn't in the squad altogether, but Clark, it was Jenna Clark, Sophie Roman Haug, Coivisto, Herbinger, often plays. Missy Bokerns as well. Like, that's a lot of quality on that I bench. mean, drop taken Micah. Fine. Fine. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. There was a lot of, like, you know, confusion and muttering around the <laughs> home end when, like, talking about the team. It just seemed... Yeah, really strange because there are so many good players. And I, I also think that like, those changes were made far too late, bringing those players on because yeah, it's I like, do what's think the point? that, yeah, I do think that it was like, I think it was like 65, 67 minutes or something when he made four changes at once. I think that we did look better after that, but it, it's too late by then. Mm. Yeah, it's obviously unfortunate. He brought Hogg on right before Miedemus scored, right? Which obviously, like, that's mm. a bit, a little bit annoying. But yeah, I definitely think it, it's interesting because I was at Tottenham City and it felt like Robert Villaham, obviously, obviously this wasn't the last game they played, but they'd obviously got battered by City and it felt like he took sort, sort of the opposite approach of being like, you know, these things can happen, but like, I want you to keep playing the way I'm asking you to play and I want you to be brave and I'm going to sort of trust in you. And it's a very different style of management to being like, and and obviously, you know, a manager is entitled to like make their assessment of the levels their players are playing at. But yeah, I just think when we're talking about the difference maybe between the really like top teams and this sort of like second rung, probably is having that sort of second string of players who you can genuinely like rotate in and out and drop four. And I just don't know if these well, smaller teams have that. That was the question that Anna actually tweeted at us about how how well Liverpool have done this season because they're only three points behind Manchester United, which is really impressive. But as you say, that gap still feels quite big in a way because the depth isn't there, whereas Manchester United do in some ways have the depth, but that's also a bigger conversation. But Anna was asking, what else do they need to do bar signing some big players or more players 
to get closer to that top three, top four? I think it's tough. And I do think squad building's like a lot of it. And I think you can see that Liverpool are moving in that direction. I think the thing that's really hard to balance for these kind of teams is sort of how much you defend and how much you go for it and how much you change your style of play to balance those different things. So I think what's interesting about sort of Tottenham's approach this year has been, you know, this idea that they sort of want to try and play in this more attacking way and they're going to kind of do that in whatever game they're in. Now, the reality of that is, you know, you watch them against Arsenal, you watch them against City, they're not actually do it, doing that. They're having, they don't have a lot of the ball, they're having to defend a lot of the time. Um, and I feel like Liverpool it is similar. For me, I think often with teams, it's like, how do you get, how do you find the balance between like your midfield and attack? And I think that's the thing that's really hard because naturally these teams will like bring players deeper as a result to try and defend against the better teams and then their attack ends up very distinct from their midfield and that makes it really hard to progress the ball further up the pitch. Um, But I think broadly in this game, I thought Liverpool's midfield did really well and I think they've got a lot of like talented technical players in that team that sort of allows them to deal with that and you know, for lots of the first half, like they, it didn't really feel like they were under like loads of Arsenal pressure. And ultimately at the end of the day, you've basically got like Emily Fox just going past a ton of players twice to lead to two goals. And then that's when I think it comes back down to like a technical quality thing, because I think Fox looks really good. I thought she had a great game. I thought she looked decent against Everton as well. Like, I think she's fitted into this team very quickly. But also at the same time, I think she will come up against a stronger set of players. (laughs) When we think about them being, you know, fifth and just behind that top four, actually because the WSL is only 12 teams, they are, like, I think United are having a poor season. And so we're only three points behind them, but we're 10 points behind Arsenal who are in third. And, you know, we're five points ahead of Leicester who up until, you know, they, uh, they won yesterday were still very much in the relegation conversation. So I think, yes, we are pushing up the table but I actually am not sure if that kind of if we're even near to that conversation about breaking into that top four and also what we've seen I guess with what like happened has happened to Villa is that you can have a great season and you can finish you know a very strong fifth but can you actually build on build on that and Mm. put that pressure on and I actually think I, I think I understand why United fans are frustrated that they've not pushed on since, but United are probably the only team who've ever sort of managed to like come up and like keep some kind of consistent pressure over a number of years on that sort of top three. Yeah, and you, you can you can almost capitalise on other teams in and around the middle being poor and not building form, but then to actually keep that pressure on the teams higher, that's a much harder scenario. Viviana Miedemar, first goal back for her 
unfortunate deflection of Gemma Bonner's bum. I thought it was an amazing girl. <laughs> I know, and I'm kind first, of annoyed that it wasn't. I know. And then because you actually think Rachel Laws is is make, already making the movement based on the shot that she sees, bounces off Gemma Bonner's bum and changes direction. Yeah. And then she's trying to do like a top hand save. So that was unfortunate. But it was still a very emotional moment for her. Obviously, her, all her teammates kind of gathering around her to celebrate that. And she's been playing really well since she kind of got back into the team and is starting again. She was really good in the cup game against Watford. She's played well in in the moments that we've seen her since. And I think that's really important because with all of these players who are having these long-term injuries, you just don't know how people are going to come back. And there's also question marks about her future with her contract up this summer. But I think she's proving a point, which is really important because she's also coming... So much has changed for this Arsenal team since she got injured. Mm. There's been so many new big players uh, arrived and you almost look at it and think, okay, how is Miedemar going to get her spot back in this team and justify herself and fit into a team that's changed quite dramatically? But I think she's done that quite well. And I think Beth Mead is is an example of someone who's like... It has been kind of freakish in how she's come straight back in and hit the form straight away. Like very few players can do that uh, and do what she's done. And and that is mightily impressive because I thought Chloe Lacasse was going to be able to fight for her spot a little bit more. But now it's like, damn, OK, Lacasse, I almost feel like needs to find a new club now already because she was a she, well, she was a short term solution. But I just Although don't that see that in itself is a little bit bizarre because I'm like. She's not a bad player. No, she's and I'm great. like, do you have to play Caitlin Ford and Beth Mead in every single game? You guys know I'm the biggest Clola Castan, but I wanted to play football. And I think with yeah, with the form that Beth Mead's playing at the moment, she's not gonna get a spot on that right hand side. But yeah, maybe she can maybe she can play on the left. But anyway, I thought it was an important result for Arsenal, not just because of what happened in the Emirates, but we all know that was like it was such a stodgy first game back, all those crosses that became a bit of a kind of gag. But I think with all the pieces coming together in their sort of like midfield forward line unit, I think the movement's looking good. I think the understanding's there. And yeah, I think obviously pullover is such an important part of that. But I just do think everything's sort of coming together. Do I think that they have still a chance at the title? Yes. 100%, like Manchester City and Arsenal are still only three points behind Chelsea. But I'm still feeling like I have more money on City than I do Arsenal. Yeah, although I think it will obviously be interesting how much the Jill Rod injury affects Manchester City and maybe we can talk about them a little bit more in a minute. Um, I think I do still think what is interesting for Arsenal is how with this bigger squad, we see players come in and out. And for example, I think one really interesting element of that is, you know, Kim Little coming back to full fitness. And I'm obviously biased because I love her deeply, but like, I do think Pelova's <laughs> been one of Arsenal's best players this season. And with Viv also back in the team, you know, someone's someone's getting benched out of those three <laughs> players. Um, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing, you know, but again, when we're talking about potentially players like Lacasse, it does still feel like Jonas really likes to rely on a settled 11. And sometimes I wonder if that's a bit of a limiting factor because it feels like substitutes only sort of are coming on to like bail Arsenal out if they're in tricky situations. It doesn't really feel like um, 
there's sort of like a positive rotation going on. And it is going to be interesting to see, I think, how that develops over the over the second half of the season. You know, again, Emily Fox has come in. She looks really good. Katie McCabe's then playing at left back when she's not going to be suspended. But like that means Steph Catley's on the bench. So um, I think... I think the midfield one's the most interesting because I think they're the like highest performing set of Arsenal's players. Like I do think Ford and Mead are probably better than Lacasse. I can understand why you'd play McCabe and Fox over Catley. But of little Miedemar and Pullover, I think I'd find it very hard to select between those. So it's going to be interesting, I think, to see how Idaval figures that one and out. And Freedom Arms sort of drifted out now of the of the starting eleven since the turn of the year. Our shithouse correspondent, Becky Taylor-Gill, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Laura Brady has asked, do we think Katie McCabe deliberately got a yellow card so she, she oh, could miss 100%. the West Ham game instead of potentially the Man City F- FA Cup no, game or beyond? I disagree. It was so egregious. The it was stopping so to take your shin pad out yeah. like halfway off the pitch. Like, of course she's doing that on purpose. And then she smirks. So Jessie, what, so, what could you possibly say to... Jessie, to say that she's first, not doing that on purpose? At first, I didn't even think about it. But then when I saw Laura's tweet, I thought actually you're onto something here because it was so random and unnecessary. She'd basically got a warning and said, get off the pitch, but went back for more. Why would you do that? Because also because it's Katie McCabe. This is someone who managed well. to get suspended for a game because she booped someone on the head with a football. What, so do you think she was just doing it for the wind-up? But that's almost the same as as like... Well, it's not because it's that's just because she's a wind-up merchant. That's not because she had Arsenal's schedule written down. <laughs> but anyway, it'll be really funny when they lose to West Ham as a result. Because <laughs> yeah. of that. No, but you, you look at... She, like, she knows... She'll know that she's one yellow card away from a suspension. And she'll know what games are coming up. She's not an idiot. I like a hundred percent. I think she's done that on purpose. Yeah, I kind of want to think it's a conspiracy. I want the West Ham conspiracy. I'm gonna go lean into it. Fine, I just agree. I just think that's McKay being a wind up match. <laughs> Maybe she can let us know. But we've Again, got. It would be really funny if they lost West Ham. Come on, come on, you irons. <laughs> Right, I want to talk about some of the other goings on in the WSL, especially in Manchester. So let's talk about that after a quick break. So Manchester City, yes, I have been high on them this season. I'm a big fan. But ever since that Brighton defeat, they have just been on an absolute rampage. And that result, when they lost to Brighton was so frustrating because they were in such a good place and you felt like, okay, they managed to hold out now. They are have a really good chance to win the league. It set them back a bit, but like they always do, they just build a rhythm and they just keep building and they get into these really, really, really in- impressive runs. And it's been six WSL wins in a row since that Brighton result. Obviously, Bunny Shaw's been in ridiculous form. She's had three hat-tricks in five games, which is just absolutely mad. Jesse, you were at Brisbane Road. Firstly, actually, we've got to talk about the lack of beatboxes. We did have a tweet on this. So Disappointing. No beatboxes anymore. Really just, they weren't there. But I don't know, you know, maybe they called in. Maybe they were ill. There's some suggestion it's been a restructure, <laughs> but maybe they were just sick. They had the freestyler and the dancer. Yeah. I will be so furious if they've got, I've never seen them. You've never it's just seen like, <gasps> no. 
No, it's I've never like seen a... them either. This was this was my first time at Brisbane Road. Oh my god, oh guys! Brisbane Road is WSL Heritage. The most. I love the way you say WSL Heritage, but Tottenham have been there for like two years. Yeah, but ever since Brisbane Road, just the <laughs> no, maddest no. things have happened. Uh, to that craziest ground. press box. It's in so the WSL. Up. It's so high up. And why were there spikes in front of it? Did not like that's that one there. That's new. That's for the pigeons. That wasn't there before. I know it wasn't there for the journalists. But... No, no, no. But I, it's definitely a new addition because that picture freaked me out. I haven't seen that before. But I think it's quite nice up there because you get quite a good view of the pitch. There's a lot of pillars. Yeah. Is what you I do found. Have, you really have to lean over. I got a great tactical view of the freestylers, which is why I was there. <laughs> Your analysis of the freestylers is going to yeah. be deep. Anyway, you were there. Talk to me about what you thought of Man City's performance. I didn't think it was a classic game. I'll tell you that. It was quite boring in parts. I was watching this on FA Player, which is never like the best experience in the world. But I didn't think it was a classic. And I don't want us to focus too much on the game yesterday. But I want to talk about the wider run of form and performances that Man City have put in in recent weeks. Obviously, Bunny Shaw being a huge part of that. She is now within touching distance of... Georgia Stanway's City goal record, which is crazy um, because she's got 64 goals in 73 games compared to Stanway's 67 in 186 appearances for City. Obviously, that's crazy that Georgia Stanway even got is that, that record. I know, I know. Nikita Paris is the next one under that. Obviously, Stanway was like isn't a striker, but she, in those early years of City, like because her goal scoring kind of got less and less as towards the end of her City career, but then they had other players come in. But those first couple of WSL seasons that she was part of with City, like she was such a big, important outlet, especially for goals for them. And obviously they got more players who kind of did that towards the end and doing that now. But yeah, let's talk about City over the last couple of weeks because they do look like an absolute force and a very complete team. They do, but I feel like it's hard to talk about City as a whole now with because the Gerard. raw ACL because my concern, and like we talked about this, was this feeling that City have this very settled team. They've not really rotated. They have a very sort of thin squad. Um, they've kept a small squad. They obviously knew they weren't having Champions League football this year, so maybe that was a sort of factor in that kind of decision-making. But then when someone unfortunately picks up an injury that's going to rule them up out for the rest of the season. How do you deal with that? And I think my concern watching City yesterday, even though they got the win, was that they were really missing broad sort of box crashing ability. So they played Laura Coombs and Philippa Angledell in the midfield. Um, Coombs are sort of paired with Rod more recently. It was Angle at the start of the season, but then both of them in. But I don't think either of them have what Rod offers in terms of that box presence, which has added a lot for City this season. One thing that was interesting was that uh, Jess Park did come on towards the end of the game for Coombs and played in that sort of left-sided eight role. And I think someone like Park or someone like Fowler has more of that kind of attacking oomph than Coombs or Angledell, to be honest. But the question is, is does Taylor trust either of those two players? And is he willing to like take the risk on the attacking upside for potentially them not being as 
safe with the ball mm. as someone mm. like Coombs is. I hear what you're saying. I do. And I think the experience of Jill Rod and, and where she's played that role and what tournaments and what competitions she's done it in is massive, especially for a run-in. So I think that miss of that experience and that leadership is, is definitely a factor. But I still look, like you say, at their squad, which I think is, is thin at points, um, but I still think with the players you mentioned, even Laura Coombs, I think, can do that. But I think the fact that she hasn't maybe had the consistency that she had last year because of the, the how she had to step up, I think is different this season. But I still think with Fowler and Park, I still think there's enough there to make it not an issue. But it is about Taylor trusting them to do it. And I think you're right. I don't know if he does yet, but I think he should because I think they are good enough to fill that void. I still think there is enough there because even, because Rod's been good this season, but she's been patchy at times. And when you sort of write her off, that's when she comes back in and is that presence and gets goals. But I'm still feeling like there is enough there to make that Rod miss not as big as it maybe looks on the surface. Yeah, I think it's there. But I think, again, this is what will be really interesting about Taylor is that it feels like he's managed to find these plug and play pieces for a system that's relatively simple in some ways but I think excels because of the technical quality that City have you know if your idea is to sort of get the ball get the ball in and then out to the wings as quickly as possible and then put a load of crosses in having Lauren Hemp, Chloe Kelly and Bunny Shaw are pretty much like three of the best players in the world. You could get to play that system. But what we've seen in the past is that if teams can shut down those three players, City will struggle. And I think what Rod offered was that different option, was the option to pass through the midfield more, potentially play for cutbacks, to be able to like sweep up in the box um, and make it make it harder for opposition teams to like figure out who exactly they needed to be defending. And I thought it was interesting that yesterday was the lowest number of shots City had had since the their second lowest of the season, lowest since the game against Chelsea, where they obviously had nine players. And I thought that said a lot about maybe reverting to this older version of City we'd seen, which was much easier to like maybe just focus on those three because the threat from the midfield wasn't there in the same way. Now, I'm not saying that City can't fix that. Like this is the first game they've played in the WSL this season without Jill Rod. So it's going to take time. You know, we've seen Chelsea without Sam Kerr. Like these things take time when you really rely on a player in your system. But I think over the years, there's been a lot of talk about Taylor as a manager and it started off wholly negative and I think it's moved into sort of this like neutral, neutral to positive realm. But I think this will be a really like defining moment in with him as a manager because he doesn't have the pieces that like made the system work and the mark of a good manager will be, can you fix that and reject that? Becky, I mentioned Bunny Shaw. Um it's it's been such a crazy uh, couple of weeks for her. The amount of goals she scored and how close she is into that record and the difference she's made and how she's elevated her game. We think we saw that in parts against Spurs where she was kind of dropping deep and being such a big part of the build-up play. Do you think she is going to end the season as the WSL top goal scorer? Because... She kind of got robbed in the end last season when Daly just pipped her to the post. But do you think she is going to do it this year? Because it, I, it's so frustrating when you're seeing someone like just absolutely blow away the competition, like hat trick after hat trick, and then 
if she doesn't get the go- top goal scorer award, I'm going to be gutted this season. Respect Lauren James and their fight. <laughs> Sorry. I'm... Yeah, it's it's all about the battle. Toe to toe, week by week. I'm obsessed with it. And also it's like, was she robbed? Because Daly scored more goals than her. Yeah, it's quite a simple competition. It is a simple competition. <laughs> but it is, it is, it is, it's a simple game to play. But yeah, I just, I really want some kind of Bunny Shaw golden boot situation this season. I, it is so it's I think it's all about the battle and I think it's really fun to see each week like both of them just absolutely turn it on I mean it is insane three hat-tricks in five games is nuts it's just nuts I'm looking at Bunny Shaw's stats and I was gonna say she's got 13 goals and her XG is 6.9 so she's outperforming but then I looked at Lauren James and she's got 12 goals with 4.7 XG so you know I think Bunny Shaw's the player who you'd be like, you'd back her to do it over the entirety of the season. I'm, I can't figure out. I obviously hope that LJ, like this is just the goal scorer she is. And she's obviously an incredibly elite finisher. Her first goal against Brighton was ridiculous. Um, and so I think there is a chance she is just somebody who always finishes that rate. But obviously LJ is scoring at a rate that she never has in her entire career. And Bunny's very much doing what Bunny yeah, has done consistent. throughout her career. So... What I want to see from Shaw for the rest of the season is really delivering it in those big games now against top three, top four. That's what she has to level up because I think we haven't seen that enough from her. We know because she's done it a couple of times now that she can score a hat-trick against Tottenham. She can score a hat-trick against Everton. She can demolish some of those smaller teams or those those games where she gets a lot of chances. But I want to see her do it against Chelsea now. I want to see her do it against Arsenal in the FA Cup. I think she, she's done it against Manchester United, but I'm like, that next level, that will make this an even better uh, season for her and for Manchester City. Quickly though, Manchester United being Aston Villa, important game, big game for Nikita Paris. More Mark Skinner quotes, just getting the Twitter discourse discoursing. Someone just take him off the mic. (laughs) He doesn't need to say anything more. (laughs) Tom Gary writing this one up from that Aston Villa game because he was asked about depth and spending and recruitment. And he was pointing to Chelsea again saying, you know, um, I need reinforcements. I don't have enough to work with. We need to be be doing as much as Arsenal, Chelsea and City are um, because Emma Hayes loses a defender, she gets a defender, loses a striker, gets a new striker. Jesse, do you think he has a point? I'm like, I look at the quotes and I think, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, you've spent loads of money. So there is still, you, you are doing recruitment. It's not like you're being told there's no budget. Are you getting the right players and using them in the best way? Well, that's another story, really. It's like it's not quite as clear cut as you're not getting the budget, you're not getting the players. Yeah, I don't think United squad is as established as the rest of the top fours, but equally they've brought in a huge amount of players. They have a strong global brand. They ostensibly, after last season, had a lot to offer in terms of having finished second, been in a domestic cup final and having Champions League football. I think the question sort of is, is where and how and who are you recruiting and why? Because I think it's easy to say, like, I think Chelsea this January is like a big 
exception because this is Emma Hayes' last hurrah and she is going to make them spend whatever money on whomever she wants. She's going to make them broke. <laughs> if she thinks that will help her win what she needs to win. So I think Chelsea's January window is quite exceptional. Chelsea don't normally shop in January, for example. Yeah, the only the biggest ever sort of January signing we've ever seen was Sam Kirk. She arrived in January. But apart from right. that, we've never seen anyone like... We've never seen this And much. obviously that's sort of related to seasonal differences yes, exactly. anyway. Yeah. Um so I think then when you look at like a squad like City for example who you know they went out and they spent a lot of money um on Jill Rod last year but uh, last summer but as the feeling of like this is the one player we think we need as this piece in our squad and you look at the rest of the squad and that is a lot of players who've been built over a, a number of years. Now for a long time, United can sort of say they haven't had really had that run time. But I think increasingly, that's not true anymore. You're sort of in what you're, f- they're in their fifth WSL season at this point or fourth. Um, and, you know, you, you can attract good players. I think it's a, just a bigger question mark of who exactly you're getting and what did you want them for? And either Skinner is going getting these players or someone else is from United and if it's not Skinner I don't know why he doesn't tell them I don't want that player I want this player and if it is is Skinner then it's his own fault so I feel like either way it kind of comes back to being his problem yeah that's why these quotes are so funny because he gets he twists himself into trouble by talking about things that just end up with the finger pointed at himself (laughs) well I think that's I just think that like maybe maybe he has a point and we could talk about that for much longer but when he has just a record of saying these things, which really feel like he is pointing the blame at anywhere but himself, like like the Champions League quotes, like you didn't do enough to qualify. Like you don't deserve to be in the Champions League if you can't qualify. Conti Cup it's quotes. Like I, yeah, I, I, I feel like it, it makes me not, not, believe or not want to agree with him on these on this subject because I'm like well this is just classic Mark Skinner looking for something else to you know blame or moan about it's just it's always the same like genre of quote that comes out also just from a people management perspective how is your squad supposed to feel when every week Mm. after every game win or lose you're there being like my squad isn't good enough and I think what's interesting is lots of lots of teams that have had big success I think just generally in football you need lots of different pieces and it's not always your star names who come through and who excel you know I think um just like purely from a Chelsea perspective when you look at the success of like a player like Neve Charles who for example was captaining the team this weekend that's someone who like Chelsea recruited brought in at the time I don't think anyone would have said within this time frame Charles would be not only Chelsea's best player but like one of Chelsea's best players this season that should be playing in a different position and that should be their captain at like 24 years old I think that says a lot about like a much bigger view and like a supportive environment for players that sort of allows them to flourish and grow and I think when you see what and you know like Hayes isn't averse to that kind of outburst but I think it's like the consistency of comments like I don't know who this is a message for like presumably the board but as we said the United have spent 
money. Like it's not like he's not in Brian Sorensen's position mm-hmm. where Everton are clearly like nope. shedding. Nope, yeah. you've got nothing, and we're selling all of your best players, and we're not giving you anything more. He's he's been given money to spend, and they've mm. gone out and got targets. So well, you imagine as well, it's an appeal to. Jim Radcliffe and his people that are coming in now to say, hey, don't forget about us. I need more. But it'll be interesting to see what though, what that now more supposedly technical football side and performance side do because even though the focus is going to be a lot more on the men's team in that conversation, like often when new people come in, they want new people involved that are their picks. And, you know, there's so many question marks about Skinner's future. But on the topic of... Quotes and discourse. Another conversation that was top of the discourseometer this weekend was <laughs> Nikki just said. I really like the, discourseometer. The new, really made me giggle. Um, we should make a little uh, a little meme. Of we that need that one. for live shows. I think <laughs> yeah, <the> discourseometer. <laughs> Uh, Nikki Dissett, the new CEO of the NUCO, which obviously is the new company that will be taking over control of the WSL Championship from the 24-25 season. She's been doing a lot of media rounds, did a roundtable with written journalists, did an interview with Sky. I think she won the BBC as well. So she's been doing the rounds and it's all part, obviously, of introducing this new body that will be looking after the league and there's so many unanswered questions there's so many question marks a big one is the new media rights deal which is going to you know partly fund the next couple of years of the competition but the one that really got people talking really really got people talking is the quotes about Glastonbury so Nikki Dissette talked about women's football having this unique festival feeling much like Glastonbury and it got people understandably a little bit like, hey, I don't think I agree with that. I think women's football, you know, is football. It's not a music festival. It's not family. It's not all this kind of stuff. When you read all the interviews and the media quotes around this, there is such a deliberate play from the new strategy for women's football because, and they've done so much research and and the data is telling them this, and this is why they're leaning into this strategy, The data and the insight is telling them whether we agree or not. I I don't think I agree with that, that strategy, but it is telling them that the way to go is to chase after new potential fans and new money because the football space, the traditional football space is a crowded market. And if you try and get more of a pie that is already fighting for so many leagues, competitions, a very tight and compact weekend, you're going to lose to the men's game. So the strategy in the play and what the data and insights told them is that we've got to go after the wider audience and the wider audience is going to be this festival, major event, audience that sits outside of the traditional football audience. But do, do, I, no, do I agree with that strategy? No, <laughs> I think it's a stupid strategy. I think going after that alienates the existing audience. And I think there is still enough of an existing football audience to get on your side and get money from without having to chase this other one and done event audience, which aren't going to build the habit and consistency that you need. Look at British athletics that are on their knees with debt. They are a sport that has tried to build on just having one-off major events. And it doesn't work. I think English netball is struggling as well because of that. I think you have to tap into the culture of football. The problem is, is they're putting 
a theory onto data. So the data might say that, for like, for example, a big proportion of people who go to the Emirates at Arsenal are the so-called big eventers, right? The, the, the new this fans. kind of one and done new fan things. They might never have been to women's football. They might never have been to the Emirates before. But this can kind of start to become a circular thing because we know women's football has been marketed in this big event away for ages. So then you're like, the people who come are big eventers. So that means we must need to do more of it. But like, this is also sort of like the kind of startup money grabbing tech view rather than being like, what do we want to be? It's about chasing market share, but based off like your own preconceptions about how you go for that market share. You know, the idea that like, men's football will like say always win out I'm not saying that's like not true but for example like even if you look at sort of the success within non-league like attracting different audiences you could turn around and say look so many fans are really dissatisfied with the Premier League and like how you know their teams are run and they don't feel connected with it so our strategy is going to be to grab all of those people Mm. that's a different like sort of ideological version of looking at data but the problem is, is that when the data sort of gets framed as being like, this is just what we have to do. Mm. And I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> it's no, what you I, want I, to do. Not, I agree. You can read you can read from from whatever you're presented with the way you want to. And like you say, like the, everything is skewed towards having these big one-off events, whether it's the Lionesses playing at Wembley or wherever. And that's going to feed you the answer to say, oh, we have to, we have to go down this route to make it more major events. But... Two, three scenes ago, we were praising the fact that we were getting away from the major event situation. We were getting into these habits where people are going to go to all of the Emirates games and Arsenal are going to move everything to the Emirates. So when does it go away from having major events to this is just football existing? Why does it have to be framed under that? The Arsenal example is the best, best example of why this doesn't make any sense. Because what has been so incredible about what Arsenal have done, both as a club and as their supporters... Is that they, yeah, it's exactly like you say. They have turned in the space of basically 12, 18 months, a not very engaged fan base who didn't necessarily get loads of people along to the biggest fan base in the country on an incredibly consistent basis, both at big events and if you're going away to Tranmere on a sun, like late on a Sunday. And that for me is the biggest example of this idea that like you've got to constantly go for this. Also, I don't know, Glastonbury is like the weirdest example because like... Let's all go take loads of acid and go to Prenton Park. Has she ever been to Glastonbury? I'm so confused. Who wants to go to Prenton Park and drop? Me, 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 me. Yeah, firstly, I've never been to Glastonbury because I've never been able to get tickets, so I can't speak on it. Um, (laughs) But I think there's like more concerning things in that, uh, into that round table that have not been like discoursed about because obviously the Glastonbury quote is silly, but... There's still a whole load of questions that are unanswered about where the money is coming from, uh, what the board will look like, Mm. um, the Premier League's involvement. And those are things that are really, really important Mm. for the future of women's football and for, you know, transparency and knowing where this league is headed and who is involved and who those stakeholders are. And if you don't know that, then 
you know, I think there's so many more questions that are more pressing about, because we've been having, we've been having this discourse about fans and stadiums and we will continue to have it forever. But there are things that are very concerning to me that are not being talked about yet. Amen to that. I, I completely agree with you. I think that the the Glastonbury silliness has taken over the real conversation and some of the write-ups did point to the fact that there are so many unanswered questions about this. And so much jargon, I think, in the discussion so much around jargon. it, it's, which sort of befuddles exactly what Becky's just laid out in terms of mirrors. what's missing. It's smoke and mirrors. This. And it's terrifying. And like I've, I've written about the fact that you know, we should be quite worried about the unanswered questions because there is a very significant tap which is being turned off and expectation that venture capital funding is just going to turn up on their door and solve their problems, that the Premier League are going to want to invest when they've got their own shit going on, uh, that the media rights deal is suddenly going to be so big in value it can sustain a whole entire competition. I think... I think that's where the reality check has to be and and kind of getting distracted like we have around the fan discourse, which has been women's football's biggest talking point now for like a decade because it started out with the obsession with being marketed towards kids and families to then kind of moving into being marketed around major events to now moving into traditional football culture, which feels like it's working. And now we've come back right back down to where we started years and years and years ago. But those real questions remain like, what the fuck is the league going to look like in like six months' time? I think the other thing is as well is like, I feel like some of this sort of family-friendly stuff does get a bit... Like, I I don't think people are saying that we don't want, like, families to be able to go, but sometimes it feels like there's also a bit of, like, oh, like, you know, people want to turn it into, like, hooligans. And I know (laughs) Becky does because she wants to fight those people (laughs) in the home end at Liverpool. But, for example, like... The Bristol City stuff this weekend, was I thought so was good. so fun. Yeah. Like having the mascots do the dance, the big apple roll. Like, I don't think anyone wants to like get rid... No, we want the Brisbane Road beatboxers back. Yeah. Also, but it's more just like it's so frustrating when there are, yeah, serious stakeholders in the women's game who kind of seem more interested in this what the vibe is rather than you as you say sort of like the governance the commercial opportunities you know the actual direction like I kind of feel like and I know Nuco is sort of the clubs at the same time but like let the clubs kind of like figure that out for themselves if Aston Villa yeah. want Peppa Pig there like good for them like I hey, love that Peppa who, Pig is a women's football fan but you know like I just feel like the fact that this is yeah the focus from like the person who is leading the f- women's football in this country, that's what kind of feels like so eye-roll to me. Because the atmosphere and that stuff, it will sort itself out naturally. Yeah, you're right. It's not It's not, It's not. not their job mm. to think about. That is all down to the clubs. And look, some clubs are doing it really well, like Arsenal. Some clubs are struggling. But that just let them, let them do it. You're so right. I, like, I worry um, because you look at, you know, things like the women's professional soccer in America. And that's in a, a very different time that it folded in 2012, but it had been a league for five years. I am, I'm not like that confident that the WSL is like in, as it moves into this new era in a strong enough place that that couldn't potentially happen in the future. And that would obviously be awful. I think it's unlikely, 
But I think these are the questions that need to be answered to like prevent something like that happening here. I think the big difference obviously is is that clubs are linked to existing successful yeah. businesses mm. in a way that obviously America, they struggled to get yeah. men's teams to buy into the concept. But I, I also take your point, like um, these things matter and they're important and for there to seemingly be have been such a delay and therefore no sort of coherent plan when the the you know the media rights deal ends at the end of this season like you're not in a strong negotiating position because everything is like already running way behind effectively and you seemingly don't have a clear idea of how everything's going to sort mm. itself out and the ten- the tender went out a bit later than they would like because Sky and TNT are also sorting out, we're sorting out Premier League and EFL rights. So everything kind of comes up at once. So when you do exist in a footballing landscape and ecosystem, you've, you're playing with all those other football issues and business issues. I also think that, yes, they do have those backing of those big Premier League clubs. Some of them, some of them don't. But I also think there's the flip side of that, of like, you know, like you said about Everton, they're obviously just not giving him anything. Would Everton fight that hard to keep the WSL at this point? They are they have so many issues. And it's it's having being connected to those teams that have their own, you know, things that they're going through can also be really difficult and mean that um yeah, that those teams aren't getting the support that they should from those Premier League sides that they're part of. One last question before we go. Fun question. RuPaul's title race has asked, which footballers would make good gladiators? I hope everyone's been watching the Gladiators reboot oh on BBC One. I have not. What? I don't really understand what it is. I came home oh last night Oh my God, Jesse. From the game. Did you never watch Gladiators when you were younger? No. Oh, it for just God seemed to be What some... kind of childhood did either. you live? Oh my it God. It makes me to sick, be actually. Like, I don't know, some kind of... It was like wrestling come... How did you never Total watch? How did you never watch Gladiators as a kid? Like, what were you doing? Me and Jesse are sprightly young things compared to you. You're, I mean, I'm only a why. year younger than Flo, and you're the same age as me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's well, old. You're about, Becky's what? You're about 30 eighteen months. Couldn't be me. You're about eighteen months, and you're about a year. Yeah, well, just just um, over a year. But like Je- Becky, you watched Gladiators as a kid, didn't you? No. What? Okay, when was it on for I before? What year? I feel like it was so like was... my mum's generation of. Oh, like, shut I thought up. it was like bullseye. No, shut up. This is actually embarrassing. Not your mum's generation. <laughs> so Gladiators was on in the 90s and then it got rebooted Ulrika in the Johnson. early 2000s. And Ian was a presenter alongside Kirsty Gallagher and Ian Caroline Wright. Flack. Yes. Ian in, Wright, the, Ian in the Sky reboot, but back in the day, in the 90s, it was Ulrika oh, Johnson recital. and and John Fashioning. <laughs> yeah, you're right. 1992 to 2000. Well, exactly. even then, on that original one, I'd have only been five when it finished. And I didn't have yeah. Sky. I actually think uh, this well, maybe actually, reveals more. The reboot, oh my the God. reboot was on... The, the, this the, is the a first one was on, The first one was on BBC, actually. Yeah, but I'm saying I was five when it was on... When it finished the first time round. Well, if this, do you know what it is? It's because I had old siblings. That and you probably guys is the exposure. Me and the eldest. Anyway, we've lost the point of the question, which is which footballs <laughs> would make good gladiators. 
RuPaul's title race has said I would put, pick Chloe Kelly for the vibes and Emmy Martinez for the villain edicts. There's always like a villain sort of panto character. It was Wolf back in the day. Um, I'm going to go with Katie McCabe. I think she would oh, be a great gladiator. I think she would be ruthless. I think she'd be good chat. She's got Riz. I think she would be great. So <laughs> I think she would be my villain, my villain gladiator. From the sort of like two minutes I've watched, the sort of, yeah, campy villain energy, I will put up Sam Kerr. Oh, I see, um, that's who I was going to say. Well, sorry. Yeah, I think she would be good. And who else do I think will be good? The name who immediately came to mind was Missy Burkerns. <laughs> oh my God. Hun. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's gladiator. the Hun gladiator is a thing. Yeah, no. they're like ripped Huns, is how. Like, I feel like that's probably Missy Burkerns. Body, bodybuilder Huns. Yeah, is sure. The vibe. I am going to pick Rachel Williams as like, because I, I have watched some of the reboot, as like she just pops up at the end, like when they think that they've like completed the thing, she just pops up at the end to like trip Smash them up. Them. I like that kind of little trickery uh, last ditch when they're trying to go up the travelator and run up the end and Rachel Williams just pushes them back down. Yeah. Do you know who I think She's would be there. fun from a manager perspective? Who? Carla Ward. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Carla oh, Ward or Gladiators 100%. would love to 100%. see it. Carla's wow. agent get in touch with the BBC. Wow, when they do the celeb gladiators, which I don't know if they're going to do, but we should, we should uh, petition now to get Carla on that. That would be so good. All right, guys. Um... That's enough for today, I think. But we will, of course, be back Thursday. Going to be talking about Champions League group stages because it's the last round of games this week. So we're going to be doing a little bit of chat about that and then looking back, maybe giving a few highlights, lowlights of the group stage. So we'll see you all then. But for now, Jesse, see you later. Cheers. Becky, see you soon. Bye. (laughs) We'll see you all on Thursday. (laughs) 